All right. Um, let us turn our hearts to the word. And today we look at the gospel of Luke chapter 4. And we'll begin with verse 14 to 30. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 30. And as you are able, would you stand with me? And we will do this in alternate reading as we hear and revere the word of God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as, he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Let's read this together. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What an interesting story. Jesus enters Nazareth where he grew up. And we go from verse 22. All spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now hold on to that. Because verse 29, seven verses later, we get to, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. A lot could change in seven verses, yes? So Jesus was given this opportunity in a synagogue, which is located wherever there are 10 families of Jews. They would plant a synagogue. And that's not where they would do sacrifices. That's the temple. Synagogue is a place where people gather to learn. This was a place of teaching. So they have Jesus coming, and they give him an opportunity to read the scriptures. He picks Isaiah 61, and then he teaches. Now, 
after he says it, I've seen bad sermons, but no bad sermon will drive people to ever throw me down a cliff. But so what did Jesus say? What was the big deal? First, you know, this is not unusual. Uh, There was a blogger named Tom Cox, and he has this blog called Jesus Trek. And let me read what he said. It has been said that there are three stages of ministry for a preacher in a local church. And a verse for scripture goes along with each stage. The first stage is honeymoon phase. The preacher is new, everyone loves him, and he can do no wrong. The verse for this stage is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second stage is, comes when the preacher wants to make some changes. He questions some of the traditions of the congregation and suggests new ways of doing things. People start quoting a different verse. The verse is, by whose authority are you doing these things? Third stage, if the church isn't careful, they could deteriorate into the third stage, best described by this verse, crucify him, crucify him. And so just to take it back in a more serious tone, if you've ever been a leader and you enter into an organization that is stuck in a status quo and is toxic and dysfunctional, but you see all the things that need to be led, you probably have experienced attacks, uh, subversion, and sabotage. And so if Jesus enters into a place where he's trying to proclaim God's truth because there's a status quo of lostness and people are resisting and rejecting him, would we not expect the same when we do the Lord's work? One of the things that this shows us is as leaders and teachers and pastors, whenever there's any hostility or persecution, it's weird to think that we're surprised by that. That's the natural reaction whenever we go into an arena. Jesus didn't just go to a new arena. He went home. He went home. And so there's this familiarity. And so people in, at his hometown saw Jesus. And you know that phrase, isn't this Joseph's son? I think it went like this. I think it first went, oh my goodness, isn't this Joseph's son? To later, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? God? And so they were angered. And in Mark's version, Mark is less kind. He says it this way, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So the first thing Jesus said was he showed them that they were, they were hard-hearted. And you ever get offended, and you know it's true, but you still offend it, so you get angry? Come on, we've all been there. You know it's true. But the fact that this person had the audacity to call out my sin, I'm angered. That's what's going on here. We do that all the time, I think. Because we're not perfect, but when someone says, especially your wife or spouse or children call out something in you, you're like, how dare you say that to me? I'm your dad. But it's true, isn't it? And so this is what's going on. There's a hard-heartedness in Nazareth for this guy, Jesus. So the second thing that got them really angry, this got them really angry, he says, but in truth, verse 25, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. So he gives a little summary. Do you remember Elijah and Elisha? There were people in need in Israel, but because of their rejection of God, Elijah and Elisha, do you know who he did miracles and healing with? Sidon, Zarephath, someone in Syria. 
And people were enraged by this because what Jesus is saying here is, you rejected the prophets now just like they rejected God's prophet then. And because of that, God is not going to bless you. He's going to bless actually your enemies, all people. Religious leaders were so angered by this. This was a real phrase that Jewish leaders uh, back in that time said. Uh, Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Uh, So this is for Gentile. Gentiles are all people who are not Jews. So I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. Don't you want to be a Gentile too? So we're all Gentiles. So we're all Gentiles. And religious leaders of Jesus' time had a saying, and this was a common phrase, Gentiles were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was their common phrase. So how could Jesus come and say, Jesus, God is going to bless the Gentiles because you have rejected God. This gets them angry. And so they're looking at Jesus from, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, isn't that Jason's kid? To, isn't that Jason's kid? Isn't this Joseph's son? And so the first thing that you see going on, if we kind of psychoanalyze this a little bit, if you don't mind, is this idea of familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard that phrase? So when I was a teenager, I was really good with everybody else, other parents, other friends. But guess who I was the worst and rudest to? Okay, we've all been there. And some of the youth right now are there. Like you're like, hi, everybody, hi, everybody. Mom and dad come in, hi. What do you want? Right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And in a church that happens, we're nice to everybody else, but to our own people, we will chew each other up. And so it's defined as if you know a person or a situation very well, you can easily lose respect for that person or become careless in the situation. My hometown church in New Jersey, my Korean name is Hong Suk, so everybody called me Honky. So I grew up Honky. That's my nickname growing up. So I became a pastor, ordained, went to seminary. I came back home, and they were like, look who's here, Reverend Honky. (laughs) That was a true story. And so this word is actually, this contempt is also in 1 Corinthians 11, 26. And Paul's warning, how you take communion when it becomes too familiar and casual, watch out that you don't do it in vain. When you come to worship, it's so familiar. That's what I do every Sunday. If you do it in vain, watch out. Familiarity breeds contempt. You start thinking the worship is about you rather than God. We start thinking people are about, they exist for my purpose. And so they looked at Jesus and you see familiarity breeding contempt because this is Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. So to them, he was no Messiah. He was not the Savior. Who is this guy to tell us I'm hard-hearted? Who are you to tell me anything? And so a lot of us, you know what we do in 21st century? When someone offends us, we cancel them. I don't like what you said to me, even if it's true. I don't like it. (laughs) So we move on. I quit this job. Why? I don't like my boss. What did he do to you? He told me, stop coming in late. How dare he? And so now we have moms going to work and saying, why did you tell my daughter to stop coming in late? Don't yell at her like that. This is true. 
And so we live in this weird world. And so to them, Jesus was no Messiah. He was Joseph's son. And then this is where it kind of comes together. Jesus doesn't leave any space to be merely a native boy. Because in Luke chapter 4, 18, 19, if you could bring it up, Ethan, he just read these words from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after he read this, he closed it, he sat down, and he says, today, this is fulfilled. Now, that's very narcissistic unless there's only one possibility. This Messiah that Isaiah is referring to is Jesus. If you look at the next slide, look at all the pronouns. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. What is Jesus saying? I am not just honky. I'm not just a kid who grew up here. I want you to know that the Messiah you've been waiting for has come. The kingdom of God is here. And he juxtaposes this by saying, Elijah and Elisha went out to all the other nations. All they saw were Joseph's son. They couldn't see Jesus for who he is. And so maybe there's a caution here. Maybe there's a warning here that if familiarity breeds contempt, today, my fear is, as we grew up in the church, those of you who said, I grew up in church my whole life, I was a Christian since I was birthed, pause. How do you view Jesus? Is he just a figure in the Bible? Or is he everything? Is he the Messiah, the Savior, the one that receives all the glory, and one day all nations will bow? There's a difference, isn't there? I think we get too comfortable with Jesus. You know, we call Jesus my homeboy, my my. My friend, and that's true, he's our friend, friend of sinners. But sometimes we get so familiar with him that we do lose this reverence and respect that we almost think that Jesus works for us rather than us being servants of the Lord Most High. And so in these moments, Jesus opposes, uh, opposes them, and as he's doing this, they try to throw him off the cliff, and the warning to us is, don't miss Jesus as your Messiah. Especially, I want to say to the young people who grew up, like I knew Jesus, I went to Sunday school, my grandma took me. Don't allow familiarity of Christ to wash down your reverence and devotion and love for what he has done and who he is. And so, I want to wrap it up towards this. We can't miss, there's a global mission component in this. Um, and it's in first, you know, in this chapter. And He's, you know, a lot of people ask this question, why do you go abroad? Why don't you help the people here? Why do you go to other nations? I hear that a lot in every church. And so the answer to that is, we do both. Not because Jesus said go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, but God's plan is he wants the whole world to know the good news of Christ. In fact, Revelation 7, 9, it says this, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe was there, bowing down to Jesus. So how does that happen? We can't forget the world. We can't focus on just here. So the kingdom of God lives out here through us, and while we do that, we pray for the world, and we reach out. 
And so we do this through angel tree, praying for our community, serving the homeless, showing hospitality in our homes, providing compassion, supporting foster family and children here at in Mexico, and praying and lifting up the support of missionaries around the world who need encouragement. And so Jesus takes this reading of Isaiah, puts it together, and he's calling us to do what? Be a blessing to the world. And for Israel, they were so angry because God is my God. He's not their God. And so I hear this a lot, you know. America, I, I really read this, and it scares me. Christianity is America's religion. You know, when nationalism and this kind of confused, zealous state of Christianity combine, we actually think Christianity is white people's religion. But actually started with Middle Easterns. And it grew from there to Egypt and Africa, Middle Eastern. And so where do we get that? We have to start seeing God's perspective. His desire for mission is encompassing the whole world. And so it makes me think about this war in Israel-Palestine differently, doesn't it? Like, which side do you want to win? It's like, I want humanity to win. <laughs> I want God to win. I want peace to win. And if we can't figure it out now, Lord, have mercy on us and come. And so our prayer has to be, God, there are innocent people in Palestine who are not the Hamas trying to kill all of Israel. And we pray for them too that they would stop. We pray for Israel as they are protected, that they are able to protect themselves, bring peace to this land, O oh Lord. We pray for that Russia, Ukraine. And so it changes a perspective of race and countries when we see that God is a God who's gathering all the nations. And so why does he do this? Purely grace. So I want to end with the coolest part. Did you catch the ending of that passage? They wanted to kill him, throw him off the cliff. What did Jesus do? Just walk, right? That's just one of the best verses of the whole Bible. Like, they want to kill him. They're ready to grab him. They're mobbing him. And then he's like, okay, I'm kind of done. So he just walks. And they can't lay a hand on him. And I want to leave with that thought. I wonder, you can do whatever you want to Jesus. You could use him, abuse him, ignore him, and whatever you feel in the moment you think you're entitled to. But I think this is the truth here. Jesus cannot be stumbled by us, by our best intentions or ill intentions. He will prevail. He has prevailed. And his will will continue to prevail. The question for us is, Will you be foolishly trying to resist him when you can't? Or will you join him in his work to build his kingdom? And that is why we say, Lord, open our eyes. Give us the heart that you have, that we may join you in doing this mission work. Amen? This is God. And by the way, if there's atheists who try to take down Jesus... Uh, let them do what they, there's no way you could blind up the sun with the blocking of a paper. This glorious light of Christ will shine. Let's pray. Lord, I confess I too am like these Nazarenes, oh, so defensive, so proud, so sensitive oh, that we lose you. We lose you in the familiarity, in the casualness. And, and the, 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 just, this irony is that you're a God who is both intimate well as, as well as being this holy. And so we thank you that through the cross we're able to join you and 
and to rise with you in the resurrection. We pray that we would not be so foolish enough to think this world exists for my story alone apart from you and from the world. So as this story brings us back, Lord Jesus, help us to see who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the one who has come to make the blind see spiritually, to heal the poor, and to liberate the captives of sin. You have done that. We celebrate that, and we praise you for that, and we pray, God, that we would join you, participate in prayer and taking steps, and even offering our lives wholly to you, Jesus, so that you don't exist for my plans, but that we exist solely for your plans. All these things we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.